Hey. So exciting, section 133, 134. We're, we're getting there. Yeah, almost there. We got a lot of good stuff. And we'll be talking a little bit about the relationship between church and state and looking at some of the early saints' views on the roles the government should play. So Extremely important in our day and age, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, good stuff. So welcome. Before we uh, get into our discussion, should we follow up on what you read? Let's do it. Yeah. So today we're in Doctrine and Covenant sections 133 to 134. In these sections, the Lord teaches more about the second coming, as well as teaching the saints to sanctify themselves in preparation for it. He's also going to encourage us to watch for and prepare for the second coming, and he's going to help us to be spiritually separate from the world. Mm -hmm. We also see a statement about the the saints' belief in government, and specifically the notion that government is instituted by God for the profit of human beings. We're going to focus our discussion on two specific things today. The first is preparing wisely for Christ's second coming, and the second is balancing church and state. So in order to help us to dive into the scriptures more and understand this topic better, we have invited our friend, Elizabeth Clark. Elizabeth, would you join us up here? I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) So Elizabeth, you are an associate director for the International Center for Law and Religion Studies at Brigham Young University. And then you're also an expert in international religious rights and comparative church and state. That's a mouthful. It is. And I'm sure it's a lifeful too. So thank you for your studies and your expertise mm-hmm. and for all that you're doing in this. My pleasure to be here. This is such a great show. Well, thank you. Briefly, Elizabeth, what is your research focus on specifically? I know it says the relationship between church and state is, does that kind of encompass everything you do or? It does. You know, we work with um, governments throughout the world as mm-hmm. they're drafting laws, trying to set those in place in ways that will protect the rights of religious believers. So before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, were there anything in these sections that kind of stood out to you as especially significant or or meaningful? I love section 133 and talking about holiness and the preparation that happens internally, that preparing for the second coming, sort of that impact of that. And and also section 134, given my background, I look at it and I see this is hitting sort of all the major issues of how do we relate to governments? How should governments protect religion? What is the sort of spheres and responsibilities for each. Mm -hmm. I think it's significant, Daniel, too, that Elizabeth, you have that international focus, where sometimes we are focused just in the United States, especially as we read scripture from this time period, but it's Mm -hmm. nice that you have that international focus where you've had some experiences as well. Well, you see how this applies elsewhere. I mean, these are issues that show up in every country. So let's jump right into it then and first talk a little bit about section uh, 133 and specifically preparing wisely for Christ's coming. Section 133 was received in response to Joseph Smith's inquiry about the future of preaching the gospel to the whole earth, if yeah. I'm mistaken, yeah. and the gathering of Israel. It was originally called the Appendix to the Doctrine and Covenants, but was later given a section number. Anything else we needed to know about it kind of going in? This is really tied into section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, which happens in November of 1831, when they were actually trying to come forward with the Book of Commandments. Mm-hmm. And so the revelation for section one and the revelation for section 133 are kind of the bookends, mm-hmm. in a sense, to the Doctrine and Covenants as far as what they were receiving at that time. All of you know who have been going through the, the Doctrine and Covenants this year. This isn't the only section that talks about the second coming of the Lord, but it does talk primarily about this, uh, specifically what's going to happen, how we should prepare for it. So this is several pieces of advice that the Lord gives us for preparing for a second coming. Sanctify and cleanse yourself. Gather together to Zion. Go out from Babylon. Call psalm assemblies. Speak off into one another. Call upon the name of the Lord and watch. And that's specifically in verse 11. Now, the question I have is, what might it mean to go out from Babylon and gather to Zion? Is this kind of a literal thing? Is there something spiritually going on here? What do you think it means to go out from Babylon and to gather to Zion? 
Yeah, so, me. So I really think it's something that is more spiritual. We all need to go out from Babylon to rid ourselves from all the worldliness and to prepare ourselves spiritually for when Christ comes. Okay, excellent. Thanks for that. Barbara, I know this is your wheelhouse in terms of uh, your training. Is, is that kind of accurate with what was going on here on the ground during that time? Was it a more spiritual thing rather than a literal thing? Or was there actual movement from one place to another going on here as well? So yeah, we're talking about a group of people who have left New York. They are on this process of coming now to Ohio and Missouri. They're trying to establish Zion in a sense. And that's one of the things we see in section 133 is flee Babylon and create Zion, right? So in a sense, it's, it's both physical, leave the world and come to a place where you can actually have people gather with you, which is going to continue to happen in these next few years as you study the Doctrine and Covenants. But it's also going to be get away and get the evil in a sense, out. And they're trying to create a group of people, you know, as we see what's the definition of Zion. They, they have one heart, one mind, and there are no poor among them. And he's trying to create that by fleeing, in a sense, the other Babylon. Well, and I see this often with people having concerns about how much do I associate with people in the world? Mm. Does this mean that I need to stay away from other people and organizations? Or do I need to reach out mm -hmm. and trying to make that balance work? And I think church leaders have taught that we need to be in the world, but not of it, mm -hmm. in the New Testament. And that means being engaged for good, mm -hmm. that we can't accomplish the purposes that the Lord's trying to of sharing the gospel and preparing the world if we hide away from sort of other groups and don't engage in the world. Yeah, and I think in that sense, we're, we're modeling kind of the ministry of the Savior who associated almost primarily with people who were considered sinners by many. And also, it's interesting, you look at the early church history, in a sense, there is kind of an isolation mindset that the early church members have. And you see it sometimes, too, as pioneering in different countries happens, that there's kind of this isolation. You build your community and try to create this Zion, and sometimes in the process of doing that, others, and this is the, the, one of the problems we're going to end up having in Missouri and Ohio and other places, but others are being kicked out. And so I think we've learned over the years that this idea of establishing Zion doesn't mean you block out everyone. It means you're trying to get the evil of Babylon out, but not necessarily the people, right? Yeah, and that's probably what, uh, what the, the phrase in spiritual Babylon here is talking about in yeah. verse 14, right? Yeah. Any additional thoughts, comments on what it means? Yeah. Weren't they also talking about missionary work here? And so weren't the missionaries going out and kind of gathering these people and then bringing them back to the States, bringing them back to Zion? That's a huge part of this section. So yes, thank you for bringing that in. A lot of this is actually for missionary work. The missionaries wanted something to take with them. And that's why we have the Book of Commandments, right? They're trying to get that together. And that's part of the reason we have this preface in the appendix. So exactly, we're talking mm. missionary work and physically gathering people to Zion at this time. Yeah. yeah, and even in other references in the Doctrine and Covenants when it talks about the gathering of Israel, it's often both a literal thing and a spiritual thing, right. this idea of conversion. So another question I have is, a lot of times when you have these passages that talk about the second coming of the Lord, you have these prophecies of what's going to happen before he comes. You know, rumors of wars and wars and famines and pestilence and destruction. To what degree should we see these kind of prophesied disasters and, and political unrest and social unrest as kind of inevitable realities of the last days? And to what degree should we try to combat them or prevent them or... I mean, do we have a responsibility to just say, okay, this is going to happen, you know, God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm just going to stand back and yeah, watch it happen, exactly. right? Exactly, or... Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the Lord has asked us in many other places in Scripture to be actively engaged in good. And there's a wonderful phrase in a different section of the Doctrine and Covenants where the people who are moving from New York to Zion are told temporarily to stay in one place. And the Lord tells them to act 
as if they're going to be there for years, as if for years, Dr. Cummings 51. And I think that's sort of a great image for me of, I don't know when the second coming is going to come, but I need to act as if it's going to be years and years and years and plant my roots and do the best I can to build my community and make things better now. So maybe this is uh, just speaking more generally, what other things, what might be some other guidelines to keep in mind as we prepare for the second coming? And can we take it too far? Yeah, Katya. Um, I would like to say, when we were talking about the gathering of Zion, I like the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of love. And so if we just do that, if we just love, we'll be doing, I believe that we'll be creating that Zion. But at the same time, we can't take things to extreme, unfortunately. And I think that as saints, we need to be careful about that because if we take things to an extreme, we may exclude other people or we may do things that are not in accordance to what our religion is. And so I just believe that we need to uh, be careful with that, just have temperance in all things. Mm. Yeah, Rachel. So I've always believed that one of the best ways to prepare for the second coming is to focus on gaining self-control. A lot of the times in the scriptures, what it counsels us to do in the commandments or just things that we should heed by, it's asking us to take our gift of agency and be better stewards of that. And honestly, it just comes down to what is your choice that you're going to do in that moment? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what Jesus Christ asked us to do because he had so much self-control all the time. Yeah, and with that control and formation of character, it really doesn't matter that much your external circumstances because you're going to react in a way consistent with God's commandments if you've cultivated that kind of character, right? This idea that a good tree can't produce bad fruit. So I think you're absolutely right with that. President Oaks has a, has a quote where he talks about preparing for the second coming. He says, what if the day of his coming were tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow through our premature death or through his unexpected coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What accounts would we settle? What forgiveness would we extend? What testimonies would we bear? And then he continues, if we would do those things then, why not now? Why not seek peace while peace can be obtained? If our lamps of preparation are drawn down, let us start immediately to replenish them. This idea of using our agency. And, and I love the idea of, you know, the second coming for some people may come when Christ comes, but for some of us, the second coming may come today. It may come tomorrow. It may come sooner than we, than we realize. And so using our agency to prepare for the second coming of Christ will be using our agency to prepare us at any moment for Christ. So much of what we're hearing from President Nelson and the apostles is learning to listen to the Holy Ghost and that the tutoring that can come from that and helping us to know what are all the things that Elder Oaks mentioned. Yeah. For example, we need to be doing right then. Any other thoughts on, on this? Adriana, please. As we talk about preparation, I thought about uh, self-sufficiency spiritual and temporal, and the idea of being ready to help others. Because as we come through hard times, we not only can think of our family, but those around us, and people are gonna need help. And it's always good to be in a position where you can help others, so it's important for us to think of food storage or a financial storage, and also, on the other side, being spiritually sufficient having a strong testimony to overcome the challenges that will come with, you know, the end of times, but also being able to lift others and be a light to others that even through all this uh, craziness that can happen before the coming of Christ, 
we can still have joy. We can still live our lives in a way that, I don't know, it's enjoyable. And it hadn't occurred to me until you said that to have the ultimate goal to be in a position where you can help other people. Yeah. Like I, maybe it's just because I don't have that much money and that much you know, food storage and stuff like that. But my end goal is just like, okay, we need to have enough food for the family and you know, insulin for the baby and stuff like that. But the idea of, you know, I want to be in a position where I can help other people. Like that is a good place to be. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So going back to this, I mean, before we finish up, a real quick question. Is it possible to go too far in our preparation? Is it possible to be too prepared or maybe to, to miss the mark in some sense, do you think? Yeah, I think in this section, in section 133, again, I think there are some warnings that we need to be careful of. And one of the things that I think we've seen lately is uh, perhaps in verse 11. And the Lord just teaches this principle, which is so important. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the principle, you know, be aware, make sure you're watching. There are going to be signs that the Lord is giving to us. But at the same time, he's clear that we don't know the day or the hour. Mm. And sometimes I think we, in preparation, we get kind of caught up. We, we, we watch videos or we're trying to read, we're trying to figure out the exact time that Christ is coming. And we have leaders of the church that have specifically warned us against that going too far attitude. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, just a, a quick quote from President Ballard. This was recently, he says, I am called as one of the apostles to be a special witness of Christ in these exciting trying times. And I do not know when he is going to come again. As far as I know, none of my brethren in the Quorum of the Twelve or even in the First Presidency knows. And I would humbly suggest that if we do not know, then nobody knows, no matter how compelling their arguments or how reasonable their calculations. The Savior said that of that day and hour, no one knoweth, no, not the angels of God in heaven, but my Father only. And then he continues with this statement. I believe that when the Lord says, no one knows, he really means that no one knows. We should be extremely wary of anyone who claims to be an exception to divine decree. That's kind of a strong statement, but I think it's something that we as members of church need to be aware of, that we have leaders, uh, and especially the Lord, uh, telling us that no one knows. And and sometimes I think in our preparation for the second coming, we just want to know so bad. Well, I just think that it can also... The church leaders have warned us against having gospel hobby horses. And it's easy to fall into that for some people with this, um, just wanting to be prepared, but doing that to the exclusion of taking time to serve your neighbors or using the money to help people around us right now. Um, That's an important piece, but all of it's part of following Christ. And, And when we take one piece of that out of context and focus so much on that, it can really hurt us in our effort to come closer to Christ. And, and I would add, when you're saying, you know, can we go too far? Any time we're going ahead of the prophet, we're likely going too far. I mean, that's kind of a principle that we can have, especially when we're talking about things that are going to affect the whole world, right? The prophet is the one who's going to receive revelation for that. So this has been a great discussion about preparing wisely for the second coming of Christ. Let's talk now about balancing church and state. Barbara, maybe you can give us a little historical context. So in this section, we see where it says simply, a declaration of belief regarding governments and laws in general adopted by unanimous vote at a general assembly of the church held at Kirtland, Ohio in August 17th, 1835. Joseph Smith is actually gone. He's in the Michigan territory. And so Oliver is here. He's with leaders of the church, Sidney Rigdon as well, and others are having this congregational meeting. And they're actually talking about government and they're talking about the redress. And so rather than this section being a specific revelation from the Lord to Joseph Smith, this is actually, as it says, a declaration of belief. And you can see as you continue on there, many saints gathered together to consider the proposed contents of the first edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. 
at that time, this declaration was given the following preamble. So this is what it says, that our belief with regard to earthly governments and laws in general may not be misinterpreted nor misunderstood. We have thought proper to present at the close of this volume our opinion concerning the same. But rather than other sections being a revelation, this one is the opinion of Oliver Cowdery agreed upon by those who were living there at the time. So Elizabeth, I'm wondering if you could take us through section 134 and tell us maybe a little bit about what are the roles of government and what responsibilities do we have as citizens? First, I think the best way to frame it in your mind is to look at the Articles of Faith because Articles of Faith 11 and 12 really sum up in condensed fashion all the things that are being said here. And we've got 11 where it's the only article of faith that says we claim the privilege, right? These are our rights. We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. But on the other side, well, flip side, we also have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And that's Article of Faith 12. We believe being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. Mm-hmm. And so 134 goes into this in more depth. Why do we have government? and what is our responsibilities and rights as citizens. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it starts off saying they're instituted by God. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it goes in and explains in verse two that the purpose of government and that governments can only be stable if they protect freedom of religion. They protect freedom of property and protect life. Excellent. So if I understand it correctly, I mean, both the role of government and citizens is to create a society in which uh, an equitable and just society. I mean, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, where we can live safely, in mm-hmm. peace, and be able to mm-hmm. live our religious beliefs. Yeah. Whenever I think of kind of what the ideal society looks like or what an ideal person looks like, I always think of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and Luke. And when he says things like, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit in, in Matthew, I don't think necessarily he's saying it's a good thing to not have money. Uh, And when I teach this in my New Testament class, I bring my students to uh, African-American Bible commentary. This is what one scholar says this. This is what this verse means, blessed are the poor. Quote, we are responsible to formulate concrete ethics and principles and policies that will ensure the blessedness of the poor today. Close quote. In other words, when Jesus says blessed are the poor, he's not saying that it's good to not have money. He's saying this is our mission statement. We need to ensure the blessedness of those who are marginalized among us. And I think in whatever country we live in, regardless of our our governmental uh, power, we do have a a sphere of influence in which we can reach out to those who are less fortunate than ourselves and lift them up and bless them. And I think that's part of what it means to kind of be a good citizen, to create a Zion society insofar as it's possible wherever we are. President Nelson has a statement where he says the following. He says, the commandments to love God and our neighbor are interrelated. We cannot fully love God without loving our neighbor. We cannot fully love our neighbor without loving God. I know this is obvious here. And he says, men really are brothers because God really is our father. Nevertheless, scriptures are studded with stories of contention and combat. They strongly condemn wars of aggression, but sustain obligations of citizens to defend their families and their freedoms. Because we believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates, and obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law, as you just read, Elizabeth, members of this church will be called into military service of many nations. We believe that governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man, and that he holds men accountable for their acts in relation to them both in making laws and administering them for the good and safety of our society. And then he talks about world wars and and things, and he says, but even in all of this, as members of the church, we should be seeking for peace. And and going off that and and what Rory said earlier, we actually have a video from a viewer at home who asked a question regarding this. Hello, we are the Sherbel family. My name is Sarah. And I'm Paul. 
We live in Virginia. Here is our question. Doctrine and Covenants, section 134, verse 5 states, We believe that all men are bound to sustain and uphold the respective governments in which they reside, and that sedition and rebellion are unbecoming every citizen. Yet, we also believe that the founding fathers of the United States were inspired to rebel against England to create a new country that would be the birthplace for our church. How do we reconcile these two things? That's a great question. Part of it may be the difference between general commandments the Lord gives and specific ones that he gave to individuals at a certain time and place. I don't know whether that's what they were working on. But there is a tension between wanting freedom but also knowing that we need to uphold the laws of the land. And I think church leaders now are very clear that our obligation is to uphold the laws, to use peaceful means, sort of what we saw with Elder Oaks. I mean, I've seen this in China. The saints that are members of the church there are under a lot of restrictions about how they can meet and what they can't do and what they can do. And the church works very hard to make sure that they comply with the law that we go in through the front door, we do it the right way, we, we follow and uphold laws, even in countries that don't protect all the rights that we wish they did. And I think it's important also, and I appreciate that question from the Sherbel family, we have to be careful in looking at this statement and saying, did God command the founding fathers to rebel against the government? I, I, I don't know that we would know that for sure. Yeah. Is, is that is that true? I yeah, mean, and I think I think it's part of our you know tradition to believe that the founding of the United States was an inspired event. At the same time, I don't know exactly what God was telling to whom. Yeah. And again, it just kind of goes back to this idea that Elizabeth mentioned. You know, general versus specific commandments. God commands all people to be baptized and to love and to forgive other people, but he only commands one or two people to build an ark or to sacrifice their son on a mountain. The beauty of having a living church is that God uh, speaks to the leaders of that church based on the circumstances in which the church finds itself today. So I think we can rely on our leaders in terms of the instruction that God wants to have here and now. Another statement I love from, from President Nelson, he, he says this, because of the long history of hostility upon the earth, many feel that peace is beyond hope. And then he says, I disagree peace is possible. I, I just, that idea, we, we believe in a savior who is the prince of peace. And, and yes, there may be reasons to, to act in, in other ways for different people. I don't know, but I do believe that we have a prophet who is preaching peace and we have a savior who is also preaching peace and is the prince of peace. It's hard work to be a peaceful people. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can hear from our audience. How have you navigated relationships in which we have fundamental disagreements regarding politics with, with people? So I'm a convert to the church, and not my whole family's LDS. And I've had, at times, conflicts with family or even friends. But what I've tried to do is, you know, what the prophet tells us, to just love. If we love the other person, even if they don't agree with us, we're able to see good things about them. And also, I mean, we can't impose our beliefs on somebody else the same way that we would not like somebody to impose their beliefs on us. We should not do that to other people. I think about President Nelson when he was asked to, as he says in his, his biography, open Europe. And he thought, and he says, me, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. Who, is my, who am I to be opening Europe? Shouldn't it be President Oaks? I mean, he's the attorney, right? And he has that kind of attitude. And I think one of the lessons that we learn is as we follow these principles of, of government, in a sense, the Lord will open the doors. He doesn't need us to, but what he needs us to do is follow the principles to create Zion, in a sense, and he, and he will do that. He needs us to be the peacemakers. He needs us to be those with, filled with charity and faith, with the diligence that we need. He'll open the doors. 
but he does need us to be in the right place at the right time. So this has been a great discussion on uh, balancing church and state. So thank you so much for that. Elizabeth, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, a life of study and, and support of government. We appreciate your education and all that you've put into it. Okay. And also for helping us dive deeper into these specific sections of the scriptures today. Oh, it's been a privilege, thanks. Thank you. We'd also like to thank you here in our studio audience. We really appreciate your thoughts, your comments, your questions. It's helped us to have a, a more insightful discussion today, so thank you. Those of you at home, thanks for sending us your comments and questions via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you come join us sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thank you. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.